Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show, Science Facts and Fallacies, episode 236. We got the band back together. This is the greatest hits episode. The man, you know him, you love him, <laughs> Dr. Kevin Fulta, dad jokes imminent. What's up, uh, my man? It's been a long time. How are you? Oh, gosh, I wish I could get everybody to do a collective pull my finger. You know, <laughs> it's going over great with the baby. She's four months old. She thinks it's hilarious. So we're, I got a good one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been fun. I really miss doing this a lot. I really, really do. I think about it all the time and I listen to you and Liza and I, it, and you know, and it, it, it's, it just, I just wish I had another 10 hours in every day to do all the things <laughs> I have to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's when you have the, the, uh, the things you must do, the things you would like to do and the things that you have to do, um, you know, those things kind of start to collide. And uh, my wanna do's were taking time away from the must do's. And uh, I think it's uh, that starts to become problematic. So here we are. Thank you for I having me. I feel it, back. man. I feel it. You got to be a dad to Jantra. You got to be a professor. You got to be a scientist. It's just, it never ends. So yeah. in, in any case, welcome back. You're always welcome. We love having you on. Um, and this is great. I, it, it does feel like sort of a throwback, like a family reunion you actually want to go to. <laughs> and uh, let's jump right into it. So as always, we've got three stories. So we're going to summarize them, and then Kevin's going to give us um, some of his sweet, sweet scientific expertise on these topics. <laughs> so first up, industrial seed oils are killing you? Question mark. Here's the health story behind cooking oils. Next up, why fellow moms shouldn't succumb to anti-GMO information when making family food choices. And finally, do opposites really attract? Partners in most successful relationships share political views, education, drinking habits, and so much more. Okay, Kevin, we've got a good mix of stuff here. Um, this first one I feel like is is has a, sort of a special place for you because you do a lot of work with farmers and there's a lot of gurus on the internet selling this kind of industrial seed oil thing. So let's let's jump into this story. So this is by Ross Wallen, uh, originally writing for Everyday Health. And he points out that we have nutritional influencers on Twitter and TikTok and elsewhere. And this seems to be part of the constellation of silly things that people say. So there's organic and then there's, uh, you know, pesticides are going to kill you. And then there's gluten-free and low carb. And then industrial seed oil just sounds like a scary kind of a, whoa, what's an industrial seed oil? <laughs> so he goes on to point out, we're talking here about things like canola, soybean, corn, safflower, sunflower, cottonseed. All of these things, right? They're very common in your grocery store. They're in lots of uh, processed foods and pre-prepared foods that you eat. And some of the things that they say about these, Kevin, and I'm curious to get your insight here, is that they're not wrong. You know, so like, for example, they'll say that there's a chemical that's derived from crude oil that's used in the, the I guess it's in the extraction of canola oil for example. So they'll point to facts like these, and then they'll point out that consumption of these oils tended to increase uh, at the same time that we were seeing rapid expansions, no pun intended, in the obesity rates. And so this is sort of like the perfect storm, right? You have scary chemicals, you have increasing obesity and heart disease and type 2 diabetes, right? So you have that sweet correlation. And then if you want to sell people, I don't know, coconut oil, you want to sell a supplement, or you want to sell a diet plan, this is like, it's the perfect way to go about it. So with that in place, dive in here and tell us a little bit more about these oils. Should we actually be scared of them? 
Yeah, the, the other part of this that you left out on your stool of doom was, um, <laughs> was you know, they were made by multinational seed companies uh, that yes. sell the seeds, right? Yes. So yes. this is um, Monsanto making a product, some making seeds to be sold by industrial farmers who are, uh, you know, corporate farmers who are using <laughs> crude oil to make extraction chemicals. I mean, this one checks all the boxes. So that, <laughs> that's why it's a really good whipping boy for the entire uh, entire situation. So the thing is, it's oil that comes out of a seed. So plants are making these oils to sustain the embryo. The embryo is the little seedlet in the little plantlet there that lives in the seed that is uh, that the maternal plant makes, which now has to survive for a while before it gets in the ground and gets some soil and sun and all the things it likes to germinate and grow. And one of the high calorie, high energy, useful things it has is seed oil. And so soybeans and canola and all of these critters, these plants will make oil in there to really sustain the, uh, the embryo, which as it gets close to germinating, will break down these oils, or as it goes dormant, will break the, down these oils to make energy. Just so that kind of the, the when we find use, use for these oils in culinary applications, because oil is useful in many ways in cooking. The thing that people freak out about is, and you mentioned uh, the idea that hexanes are used to extract these oils during the process. And you can press seeds and get oil out. That's just what they do. You know, you see on the olive oil, it says first cold pressed or something, right? And you can do that with any oil. You can cold press it, but you don't get much out of the seed. If you grind it up in the meal, you extract it with the appropriate chemicals, you can separate the uh the oil from the rest of the stuff and uh, and then using certain chemicals to help liberate that is part of the process and so it's got a lot of the edges that are kind of uh, unattractive in terms of scaring people away from food and so what are what are those oils that they're using this soybean corn um, sunflower cottonseed you know there's a whole bunch of them um, they, they used to call them canola was uh rapeseed you know so it was probably the most widely used of the violent crime oils yeah poor choice of name for sure <laughs> there was actually when i was in china there was um i was at the a new institute that they built in uh in um shanghai yeah. where i was working and they put up a new building and it said on the building the rape institute like they would Ooh. have the translation in the english and i said you guys got to do a little rebranding here you know, because I mean, I know what they meant and it translated from Chinese directly, but they wonder yeah. why they weren't getting many American scholars. Um, <laughs> don't want to study that. Um, they uh, they uh, had, they, but this is just uh, was originally called rapeseed, rebranded as canola through some breeding tricks that took out some of the more offensive components of, of canola oil. Used to be a great industrial lubricant, uh, which so it the the predecessor of canola oil didn't have the most attractive history, but canola oil is great stuff. And when you look at its profile has a very similar fat content to, um, olive oil, high in monounsaturated fats. So you have these saturated. So when we start breaking down oils to saturated fats, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, we believed from the seventies and eighties that it was the polyunsaturated we wanted, the monounsaturated we wanted. Uh, we're learning that saturated fats have a place, but what we're learning is the nuance of the omegas. So the oils have omega threes and omega sixes. 
And just to basically give you a little, without going into too much Corey detail, the omega-3s are the ones that are really good for heart health, brain health. These are the ones rich in fish oil, salmon, all that good stuff, um, but are also found in, in plants. And then omega-6s are the ones that tend to be a little more heavy in other vegetable oils. So, um, and that, that one's linoleic acid. And these tend to be more associated with, with vegetable oils. And still, the, the, the jury's out on omega-6s. You see reports that say they're good reports that say they're bad, reports that say there's no difference. So, it, you know, it's all over the place. What seems to be important is the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 in your diet. And that might have some have something. Normally, it should be 2 to 1, 4 to 1. When you're eating a diet rich in, uh, in vegetable oil and processed food, you're getting probably 20 to 1. They're one, you know, um, omega-6 to omega-3. So you're, you're not getting the... Um, proper ratio. And maybe that has more to do with inflammatory responses in the body and, and, and aspects of, of this that can, that can lead to uh, detrimental health, uh, especially with things like blood pressure and uh, um, lipid content in the blood, hyperlipidemia, that kind of thing, cholesterol perhaps. But so, so that's, that's really where this comes from. Okay. And that was one thing I was going to bring up to you is that there is it seems some contradiction in the literature, you know, you can find studies that seem to suggest that too much of a good thing, I guess you could say is actually bad for you. Um, my suspicion though, is that ultimately this is going to come down to just don't eat too much. You know, it's very unsexy advice, but it's, it's really the truth. You know, if you eat less, you're going to take in fewer carbs and less sugar and what, like whatever the boogeyman is, saturated fat, unsaturated carbs, blah, 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 blah. You're just going to get less of it if you eat less, and that's probably going to mitigate whatever you're concerned about, even if there is some unique mechanism. Like if there's something like one of these oils for some reason contributes to inflation, which has all kinds of nasty downstream effects. If you eat less of them, that effect is probably going to be minimized as well. Problem solved. Do some push-ups. Don't eat so many candy bars. You're <laughs> going to be fine. Like that, That's where I'm ending up here. What do you think? Well, we'll stay out of the center of the grocery store. <laughs> And I mean, that's what it means, right? I mean, if you stay right. on the edge and you eat some fish and some meat and some bread and some produce, you're going to be okay. It's the ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 and vegetable oil to uh, the less saturated oils. The ones rich in omega-3s tend to throw off when you're, you know, eating triscuits and crackers and cookies and, uh, you know, processed stuff that's in the center of the store. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that you probably should eat less of it. And we kind of feel that way already just for other reasons. So I, I, I really, really object to the idea that the seed oil is the boogeyman. Seed oils are, uh, we're very fortunate to have them in the abundance that we do. And uh, some of the other aspects of this is when they're reused and continually reheated and, and, uh, and, and used over and over again, how they can become unstable and rancid and maybe um, develop, you know, carcinogenic compounds, perhaps um, nitrosamines and things. But uh, in general, properly used seed oils are no big deal. Well said. We'll leave it there. Maybe we can revisit it in the future. Uh, I'm just, I don't know if I'm getting older and I'm just tired of health scares and I just, I just don't have anything left for them. You know, <laughs> I got a lot of real things to worry about and I just can't, just yep. can't handle that. Okay. So we'll leave that there. Let's move on to this next story. Somewhat related, I think, in that the people that push this also push the industrial seed oil scare stuff. This is by Wanda Pash writing for Minnesota Farm Living. And I, this is cool. This is one of these blogs where you actually have farmers writing for the public. 
Yeah, uh, Wanda which is Patrick, super helpful. Yeah, yeah, Wanda. Yeah, yeah. I, I met Wanda a while ago. I don't remember where, and I really appreciate Wanda. She worked with um, a group, um, was it Iowa Farm Moms or Midwest Farm Moms? Uh, and I think she's from actually from Minnesota, North Dakota, somewhere up there. And it's yeah. just in the Minnesota Farm Living, so I'm guessing maybe Minnesota. Right. <laughs> but um, well, you know, Wanda is awesome, and she's always been an excellent advocate for genetic engineering and for speaking to uh, others like her, other moms and other people who uh, had concerns. And, and I really appreciate that. And I really like this about her article. And I actually commented on Facebook a bunch because she got a little bit of a dust up there from some folks, believe that or not. And really her point here, and I won't go through her whole article point by point as much as steer people to it. So this was on Minnesota Farm Living, uh, which is a blog. And she really touches on why this is a why this has been a problem. There's no evidence that shows that this is unsafe, but because of a uh, intransigent minority of vocal critics, it seems like the problem remains. And she does a nice job in this article, really speaking to the choir uh, about here are what the problems were. And she, she also says something in here that that is. Uh, not my approach, but something that I feel is really good for folks like her, um, that we need to have smarter consumers. And that it's a question of how does, how do, and she's, you know, she's speaking as the farm mom and farm grandmother to other uh, perhaps rural folks or other even folks in the city who have kids and grandkids that maybe it's a good idea to learn more about what you eat, but, but from factual sources, good sources. And she lists some at the end of the article and just, uh, she puts on in here for, um, that, you know, even Cheerios, which some people will scream genetically engineered, there's no GMO oats. And so th there's, um, really nothing much in there uh, other than perhaps the sugar, which is genetically engineered, which is sugar isn't genetically engineered. The sugar beet that made it is, and none of that stuff's in the sugar. So she just does a really nice job here with this particular article with, with uh, talking about this. And, and, uh, and really, I would encourage people to check it out because it does have an extension that I'll touch on in a second. But let me get your thoughts. Uh, it's great. And like you said, we don't need to go through these. I think we've covered these over and over and over, over the years on this show and on Genetic Literacy Project. But one thing she says... And it, it resonates with what you did, which is that you need consumers to be a uh, little more thoughtful about their purchases. And uh, we had Dr. Cami Ryan on the show a few weeks ago, and she said the same thing that, you know, it's it's unlikely that you're going to perfectly control the spread of nonsense on the internet. It's just it's just not easy to do. It's probably unlikely. So she says you just kill the demand for it, and the way you do that is you educate people and you turn away the audience that the Joe Mercolas and the Dell Big Trees sell their silliness to. And so she says something to that effect. She says, moms need to be smart consumers and not fall for food fear marketing tactics. I know it's hard, and all too often consumers end up paying more for the GMO free. She says, remember the fall of the money adage? That's exactly what this is about. It's about the money. In regards to General Mills Cheerio decision, the old and new Cheerios are the same, right? So there's nothing fundamentally different about the product. It just comes to checking your fear, thinking through things a little bit, which you have to do as a parent anyway. Right. So just do it one more time and hopefully over over time that'll solve the problem. And and here's kind of an extension that I've found to be really popular lately and really making some traction. And I hope maybe folks will use in this is that really we're we should be suffering from genetic engineering disaster fatigue. 
because we've been told for 30 years, this is going to kill everybody and it's going to be problem and rampant cancer and blah, blah, blah. None of that stuff ever happened. And all of the Jeffrey Smiths and the Senefs and the Mercola's and all the folks who promoted that, can we please put them away now? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, they, they really shouldn't have much influence on, on our scientific and food decisions. The big problem is, is that when you get, and this was on uh, maybe on the associated Facebook page with this, that there was a woman who showed up in there saying, well, I got cancer because I ate too much genetically engineered stuff. And luckily I was able to be cured. And now I only have organic and the other stuff is toxic. And the problem is, is that if you want to make food choices, great, make them, eat what you want, pay what you want. I don't care. But when you start to create mistrust in food, if you're affluent enough to be able to afford those choices, fine. But you start to raise doubt in the minds of people who need to be eating more fruits and vegetables. And maybe people who don't have the same means and the same, same ability to procure, you know, high-end groceries. You know, they don't have a Whole Foods in the south side of Chicago, you know. And, and those moms who are the closest food, fruit and vegetables are some, you know, in my town, you know, where I live. You know, if you, got a, if you don't have a car, the closest thing you got are some old onions and some apples and bananas at the convenience store. And so you start to give people the idea that their fruits and vegetables are dangerous. Now you're taking away from them the thing they need to be eating in order to stave off long-term degenerative disease, the healthiest stuff in the store, right? Yet we're being telling them that it's poison. And then they go into the center of the store and eat Triscuits and pinwheels and whatever those other things, you know, they eat more processed food, which then puts on some weight and, and contributes to health issues. So this, this, there's a collateral damage there. And I think it's really important for us to really start reminding people of that. Well said, well said, as always, don't take your uh, health and nutrition advice from random people on the internet. It doesn't work out well. <laughs> okay. Final story of the day, Kevin. This one is uh, interesting, but I still think we're going to call it from the no-duh files. This is uh, Ian Sample writing in The Guardian, uh, and the uh, title is, Do Opposites Really Attract? Partners in Most Successful Relationships Share Political Views, Education Levels, Drinking Habits, and more. So he's talking about uh, a study here. I believe it was performed in the UK because they're using data from the UK Biobank. But they're looking at uh, romantic relationships, and they found that 80% of traits analyzed in this study, uh, from political views to drug taking to age, and even to, uh, I, I think it was how many people or how old they were when they first had sex, right? I mean, this is how granular they're getting with this data. And what they found is that partners were remarkably similar. And I think it was somewhere between 82 and 89% for all of these traits they examined. And it was only in 3% of these traits that there was a substantial or a statistically significant difference where you didn't have people matched up based on similarity. And they're going from 22 traits, and I presumably these are all different kinds of personality traits. I haven't actually read the paper, so maybe you could speak to that. But 22 traits uh, across 200 different studies involving millions of male-female partnerships going back, which is actually pretty, pretty striking here, to 1903. So this is a big chunk of data they're looking at. Um, and it seems you know, compelling, but at the same time, as I said, no, you don't say, right? <laughs> like, right? Like nobody wants to spend their entire life with someone who's not like them in any way. What, what do you think here though? 
Yeah. So, so yeah, as you mentioned, you know, this is kind of from the no duh file in a lot of ways we can talk about, but the, the idea, well, this is a meta analysis. So they're looking at all these data for going back a long time. And in the end, they ended up looking at 133 traits from 80,000 opposite sex couples, because if you, they didn't look at same sex couples because that would probably skew data a little bit more, you know, towards, uh, towards, uh, common things because they even share more common things. So it, it was, um, so we could talk about that if you like, but what was really interesting <laughs> were a lot of, a lot of what made the report interesting are the things that didn't match. So things like height, uh, weight, um, uh, medical history, per- different personality traits, those things didn't vary. I mean, did, uh, they, they, they did show significant variation. So they, even in, even in couples that were together. So it doesn't say that everything fits nice and some of these actual key physical attributes don't fit at all. So it really does add additional weight to the rest of these uh, traits that they identified that did fit things like, you know, when they say political views, um, you know, uh, habits, that kind of thing. But when you look at it, and this is what really kind of, um, there are a couple of things in this article that kind of freaked me out. One of the things was coupling along, uh, this is coupling along common lines, man, future consequences. Researchers note, if tall people to pair up with tall people, <laughs> yeah. short people with short people, coming generations could just have extremes. Same with social habits. And, and you know, that, that seems a little weird. And then they also ext- extrapolate that same thinking to uh, um, education, that if you have education, 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 uh, educated people and educated people pairing up and non-educated, non-educated that you, um, uh, wide the socioeconomic divide. I don't know how true that really is. I, I think that, uh, these are very complex traits that aren't necessarily, uh, dictated by single genes, that kind of thing, and are more, and especially with respect to socioeconomic status, much more nature than, uh, much more nurture than nature or as much nurture as nature. And uh, those kind of environmental components can play into it significantly. So I'm a little bit put off by that. But the basic idea is rather silly that, well, I shouldn't say that. I should say it just very intuitive. (laughs) Um, If you're some, uh, you know, grumpy old KKK guy at the Klan rally, you're not very likely to shack up with the young lass who's sourcing vegan cheese. You know I mean? It just, you're you're in separate universes. So the chances of you getting together are probably not very good. And the reality is, is that the best relationships are coordinated by common friends and that, you know, people who say, well, I know this person who's in my office and, you know, he seems pretty okay. And, you know, so this is the connections are sometimes made through third parties. That's how I met my wife. And, um, and this is, um, and so that's really, that's really the, the nice part about this. How many people, so it's like, if you're, uh, if you, you know, you're in, you go to your running club every Wednesday night and you hang out with the same people there, you're more likely to meet the person who's in the running club who shares those common themes than the, uh, you know, off work cocktail waitress at the dive bar. So there's just a different kind of, there, there, your, your choices will dictate who you're going to be with. And that's someone who's making similar choices. So in that respect, it's uh, kind of a, you know, no duh, as you say, so eloquently. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to slam them because the way the study no, was no, designed, no. it seems like it was reasonably well conducted based on what mm-hmm. I read in, in the guardian piece. So it's not bad research. It's just that there's a lot of things we know intuitively to, you know, as you said, there's certain, especially in the realm of relationships, right? There's no, 
uh, randomized trial that shows that I love my wife more than anyone else in the world, right? But that's necessarily true because I married her, and right? So I think that's sort of what we're dealing with here. And as you said, right, you're going to, when you want to meet people, you go, well, where do I meet people that I want to meet? Well, I go to a bar or I go, I like live music, so I'm going to go watch a band or whatever, right? And then, or, or church. Exactly. Right. So, so yeah, it's, you're, you're getting different populations to draw from, exactly, which, yeah. you know, may share, you know, and I think it weighs more towards females too, in a lot of ways as the decision makers in relationships, early relationships, right? Because, you know, she may think you're just great and, you know, and then, and then you, you take her home to meet your mom and, you know, and she realizes that it's because you live in your mom's house, you know, and that <laughs> and all of a sudden maybe this isn't such a, t- a hot idea. You know, it, it, there's a lot of things like that, that, uh, that I think, Females probably uh, have some good deal breakers that they sense in male counterparts more than males, but that wasn't covered in the paper. So that's just my suspicion. Yeah. Neither was this, but this is a pro tip. Meet the parents as early as you can. Very good advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Meet the parents. Well, because a lot of times one of the things I hear is, especially about how women can judge males is how they talk to their mom. That's interesting. How, how they treat their parent is how they're uh, indicative of how they will treat you. So I don't know if that's true. That might be, that could be a proxy. And, and only case. to a point, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a foot massage, mom? <laughs> this guy's really friendly with his mom. <laughs> okay. Nevertheless, it's. I think this kind of research, as we wrap up here, it's interesting because it sort of confirms what we know, but it it makes it more concrete. I guess is a way that you can put it. You know, you're not just going off your intuition, and you're not just, you know, like <laughs> like people are like, I just have to be really mean to this chick, and then she's gonna like me, right? You don't go around with these weird ideas. You know, it's it's actually gives you something to go off. So I think that's also kind of helpful. Well, and in defense of the researchers, you know, you don't set out to, you do this kind of research because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You're testing a hypothesis and this is the outcome. This is what they report. And the fact that we find it, you know, intuitive is probably a good thing, you know? So when we say no, duh, we're not slighting the researcher or the researchers we're simply stating that the results were not surprising. And, and that happens all the time. It's when yeah. they're surprising that it gets kind of fun. And those are the leads that maybe they would follow up on next are the 11 to 19% of places where things didn't fit. Maybe that tells us more about how we can have better relationships by looking at those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Lots of interesting uh, angles to explore here, but uh, go check out the guardian article and um, read the paper. If you want, if you're feeling uh a little too energized, need to fall asleep. Go read a meta-analysis of uh, <laughs> 200 studies for over the course of, uh, what, almost 200 years? <laughs> or whatever. 100, yeah, 100 and 120 years. And, and, I had, and, and it is behind a paywall, though. So if you, if you need it, send me a note. If you're using it for nonprofit purposes, I can happily send you one. There you go. If, you, if, you're, send, if you're using it for profit, I can <laughs> sell you one. from uh, tandem online okay all right well that's going to do it for the show this week thank you for joining us thank you for uh, coming back kevin and stepping in for liza it's so funny she's going across europe and the internet gets worse and worse the further east she goes (laughs) she's like i'm just going to take the week off so thank you for stepping in um follow us on social media it's at kevin folta if i remember correctly at cam j english yeah he's going to write it for you on the screen there (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.
There. Beautiful. And they Beautiful. have the little bump at the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> at Kevin Fulta, at Cam J English. Genetic Literacy Project is at Genetic Literacy. They put the whole show on. We use their content. They have they gave us the platform. So thank you to them. Follow them. Read their stuff. And with that, we will see you next week for 237.